Caden Co PR would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to the Press Office with Caden Copiar, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to another episode of The Press Office with Caden Co. PR, where today I am chatting to someone I've admired for a long time in the media industry. Joining me is Erin Holland, a lifestyle and sports presenter, content creator, brand ambassador and media personality. Erin burst onto the scene as Miss World Australia, but her journey certainly did not stop there. From her humble beginnings in Cairns, Erin has navigated her way through the media world, overcoming scrutiny and carving out a successful career on her own terms. In this episode, Erin shares her insights on building a career in the media and navigating the evolving world of social media. She also reveals how she selects the brands she collaborates with, emphasising the importance of aligning with her values. Enough from me, let's get on to the interview. I am very, very excited because I am joined by someone who I truly admire in the media industry, Erin Holland. So firstly, welcome to the show. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. I am too, and let's jump straight into it. As a successful TV presenter, brand ambassador, and content creator, how did you first get started in the media industry, and what inspired you to pursue these career paths initially? Well, I'm actually a singer-dancer by trade, so I got a scholarship to go to the Sydney Conservatorium of Music and study classical voice. That's what first got me out of little old cans in far north Queensland and down to the big smoke. So I always wanted to be an entertainer. I thought it would be on stage, as a maybe on Broadway, which was the you know the goal when I was little and growing up. But yeah, it's interesting how the journey unfolds and how what I've learned from live performance and theatre has translated to live broadcast and, and hosting events and things like that. Like the show must go on in that in that realm of, of work and, and those skills have transferred into what I'm doing now with TV. But, yeah, it started with big dreams of, of being a singer and, and uh, yeah, it, that's one of the things I think people maybe don't know about me, but for me it's, it was the biggest part of who I am was being a singer. So, yeah, it's very humble beginnings growing up in Cairns in far north Queensland and yeah it was coming to Sydney 14 years ago now oh my god and yeah starting the hustle and the grind down here. And when you first got started what were some challenges you faced early on in your career you know obviously you've transitioned to being a singer into someone who was on TV was that kind of challenging to originally go okay I'm I'm switching lanes here? Yeah, it was never intentional and and there were a lot of challenges coming from a small town. 
I had very supportive parents, but, you know, financially it was on me to make this work once I finished uni and my scholarship. And, you know, there were many years between when I finished the conservatorium and won Miss World Australia in 2013, which really was the catalyst for getting my foot into the media world. You know, I was renting a room from my friend. I had a mattress on the floor for a few years. I was doing promo job after promo job, a little bit of, you know, very basic modelling stuff just to try and make ends meet in between auditions. So, you know, I was getting really close to some auditions for musicals in Australia and others I get out first round and it's like, you know, I need something different, something that's going to make me stand out from the many hundreds and hundreds of others are going to see today, maybe other than just where I studied and, and what I present to them in the room. Like, what, what about me is interesting? And, you know, at the time, Jen Hawkins, Jacinta Campbell, Rachel Finch, like those girls are absolutely killing it, but in, in a quite slightly different ways. And they all made the title they wrote and I thought oh maybe I could be that singing beauty queen maybe this is going to get me into into Wicked the Musical or Hairspray or whatever it was that I was auditioning for at the time maybe maybe that's going to be my point of difference and you know since there it's 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 really sort of my career took off from that moment but that was probably the catalyst moment of just sort of you know being really real with myself and, and and looking at what how I was presenting and what I was presenting in the industry I was trying to get it and thinking you know what what can kind of make me stand out and that's what led me to to Miss World Australia and that one over Miss Universe because in Miss World it's very much like Miss Congeniality like there's talent there's the philanthropy world peace aspect it's it's quite a a, a vast array of things that go into you know making you ultimately the winner and I was hoping that my singing voice would help me stand out with that and yeah it's, it's been a long windy journey but that was definitely the moment that sort of you know thrust me into the the media spotlight a tiny little bit which helped me meet my agent I've been with for the last nine years and yeah it's been a hustle between the two of us and this career that I've created now which um yeah so just yeah it just blows my mind honestly to think of the humble beginnings as to you know, being able to say that I've worked consistently in this career now for 10 years. That's amazing. And you've raised a really interesting point around, you know, the former Miss Universes and Miss Worlds and creating this brand for yourselves and each of you are, are quite different. For you personally now as someone who does a lot of, you know, brand ambassadorship, how do you ensure that you maintain authenticity and work with brands that align with your values is that something that's quite important to you I think it's everything you know people are not stupid people are really savvy it's very obvious now I think when someone is being inauthentic and just peddling every brand that comes across their desk so for us it's always been a do I genuinely use and love it have I trialed it obviously there's a lot of new products that come out but you know I'm making sure that I'm using it for at least a few weeks before I'm ever putting my name and my face to that and my, my manager Morgan and I have been very very conscious about the partnerships that we have you know everyone that we work with we hope to do so for a long period of time and whether or not that happens there's many different factors that go into that but it's always about you know am I going to be happy to put my face to this in a year's time is this something I'll genuinely use in my life next year that they're the brands that you want to work with and ultimately the best partnerships like with content these days we're so inundated by so many platforms and so many so many ways that we're advertised to, I suppose. So if it's not something that you're genuinely using and you're only just ticking off your, you know, bought sponsored posts, so that's not genuine and that's not genuinely how you'd use, you know, many brands anyway that you work with. So, yeah, for me it's it's 
I think very obvious now if you're inauthentically using your product and and authenticity is is everything now these days. I think that's what we expect from our quote-unquote celebrities and the people that, that we look up to and are influenced by. Definitely as a consumer, you do crave like genuine influencers, like promoting products that you know that they use and that they love. Like it just also as a marketer, it helps sell products better as well if you're working with people that actually sing the same song as your brand. Yeah, and and so many opportunities have come from the fact that you are using a product. That's the best. When something that's been a part of your life for a really long time and, you know, you always share things that you use, which, you know, regardless of the fact where they're being paid to do it, you know, and then when they come knocking the door going, hey, we see that you love the product, we'd love to work together, you're like, yes, win. <laughs> this, this is the best. And, you know, they're, they're the best sorts of partnerships and, you know, we're very much a want to make this a, a you know a long-term collaboration and a long-term partnership you know if I look at some of the people that I've worked with for a long time you know I've been a Sephora gal for about five or six years now and I was definitely a Sephora gal before before that but it's staying loyal and staying true to those companies and those brands that of course you love and you use all the time that's that's just a win for everyone I think. And one of the things that you did mention before is that right now we are just inundated with the amount of content that is out there. It is constant. There is just a constant flow of content coming through all of the social media platforms. And you do have a really strong following on Instagram. How are you finding engaging with new platforms such as TikTok? TikTok makes me feel so old. I swear to God. <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> I can't. And I've been for the longest time, so I've been thinking, ah, it's just the dances. It's just, it's not going to catch on. It's it's not going to be a thing. Oh, it's a thing. And it is, what is incredible about it, but also what makes it so difficult is the virality of someone who you've never heard of before, a, you know, a, a random person who's not in the media industry at all can become viral overnight. I think that's what's so exciting about it as a platform is anyone can cut through at any point in time and, and something can resonate with people and it doesn't have to come from someone who already has a platform or always quote-unquote famous. Anyone can reach a wide audience and also older content can go viral at any point in time, which is something amazing about TikTok. With Instagram, sometimes... You know, you, you post things in real time and you're less likely to get served a video from, from weeks ago currently. But TikTok, you, you know, I have videos that I posted months ago that all of a sudden start getting a lot of traction for whatever reason. So it, it is it is hard and, and I think I've had to really get my head around around TikTok and realise that it can be anything for anyone now. Like, you know, you, you open your TikTok and I can tell you I get dogs, I get comedians, I get makeup, I get fashion and I get sport. But that when people are like, oh, did you see this on whatever TikTok? I'm like, no, it's like a completely different for you feed that I'm, I'm not privy to at all. It's amazing how these apps now, they, they, they can read us so well and they know what we like and next minute you're like scrolling for like five hours and you go, oh, my God, i got to go to bed. But it's it's exciting, but it's one of the most challenging parts of, I suppose, being around as a, a content creator as part of what I do for a long period of time is it was all YouTube for a while and, and then it was, you know, Instagram and now it's TikTok and learning how to cut through on different platforms is a job within itself and, and creating content constantly is yeah, it's 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 awesome part of the job. It's also the bane of my existence some days. I'm like, I just don't feel creative today. But 
you know, you, you just got to do it. And, you know, what an amazing way, particularly over the last few years when, you know, the world was only really functioning online, that you can still reach people. And, yeah, so it's, it's, got, its, it's got its flaws, absolutely. But, you know, it's got so many positives as well. I remember when TikTok was first kind of taking off. I was like, I'm going to be TikTok famous. That's going to be my life goal. <laughs> it is so much harder than it looks. Like it is so hard. I, too, I feel like I feel like a boomer for saying this, but the younger generation who just seem to find it so easy, I struggle. I really do. I have to take inspiration from other things that I see because even just the way that they film things and it seems so candid and so relaxed and like no effort had gone in. Well, mate, I I try to do it and there's a lot of effort that goes in. These people are incredible at what they do and I think I've got a a decent following on TikTok, uh, sure, but it's hard to maintain that consistency I find with the app. Like I've got stuff that goes viral and gets millions and millions of views, but then you get go through these periods where it feels like no one's sort of seeing your content as well, so you're constantly having to to innovate and think about, you know, what what new ways can I cut through on, on this particular app which behaves so differently to your Instagrams and your Facebooks and the ones that I sort of traditionally grew up using. Definitely. And I find one thing about TikTok in my short foray of trying to be TikTok famous, I found that it could get quite negative quite quickly. And I'm assuming too with your Instagram and how many followers you have, and being such a prominent figure on social media that you do have to come across negative commentary, how do you deal with this? Uh, it, it changes day to day. It's it's genuinely, I think, just based on how I'm feeling that day. Some days I get a negative comment on you know, Instagram, TikTok, or Daily Mail. Daily Mail can have some really brutal feedback, for want of a better word. But you know, it, it completely depends on how my mental health is that day. If I'm feeling great and positive, having a great day, I can look at a nasty comment and laugh, or look at a comment and just think, you know, that's not about me. Like, uh, I hope that person's okay, because you know, I don't think happy people sometimes write the things that you see online but then you know other days it can really cut deep and you know the worst things that you think about yourself if you see that sort of fed back to you online it can really really get you down I've gone through you know huge periods of not depression but you know feeling really terrible about myself based on the things that I see and you know for me personally it's often been about you know my body type like wow you know where you look you look gross you look you know where are your boobs? What's wrong with you? Like, but then next minute, like you can imagine, if I ever got a boob job, I'd be absolutely slammed for that as well. Like, you can't, you can't win sometimes. And yeah, I, I don't know if there's any you ever get better at dealing with that. Uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think for me, it just really depends on the day. But um, you know, it's been never ever nothing, no criticism in my career, whether we're talking about this sort of feedback on socials or in the real life of, of working in this industry, has it ever been enough to make me want to quit? Like I, I don't have an off switch when it comes when it comes to this and I'm so, yeah, I have, I have a lot of tenacity when it comes to this. So I'm, I'm glad that I've always been competent enough that I'll never let those comments tear me down, but of course they affect you. It just makes me so upset for, you know, younger people and children on these apps as well, being exposed to that negativity, even if, you know, they're reading a comment about someone else. It's like, how is this in the world? I do think sometimes these social platforms need to be better at monitoring. Like you can put things in place, but shouldn't they already be in place already? I mean, that would be 
I can't even imagine what sort of an algorithm would have to exist to be able to do that. But for me, it's not about censoring comments and and I don't want to ever, you know, feel like people can't come and, and have a voice on my platform. But if you're being really negative and you're saying nasty things, like you said, I don't want someone else reading that. Like it's bad enough I have to read it, but if anyone else who can relate to me in whatever way about whatever's being picked apart, I, I kind of don't want to leave that negativity out there for other people to be affected by. So I leave comments on my Instagram because I hope that if anything is really awfully nasty, I can get on that and sort of manually remove that myself. Because as you said, whilst we have these hidden words now on meta platforms and and ways to sort of censor that, stuff gets through. It's just inevitable that the way people spell things or word things that, you know, nastiness can still pervade any things that you put in place in order to prevent that. So, yeah, for me, it's I do hope that no one's ever felt like I've, I've censored thoughts and feelings that they have on my content, but I just always worry that maybe someone else will see that and be really affected. So I try and monitor what I see on my platforms in, in that respect because, yeah, I'd hate anyone to have a horrific day because they've internalised some comment that's been meant for me because they support me and view my content. Oh, it's so hard out there, but you do a wonderful job at it. And I'm going to completely change tact here. Let's get into some more positivity over here. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to quickly talk about your style. I have had the pleasure of working with you through a number of ATC racing carnivals and you are just always immaculately dressed. And I also think you always just pull together looks that are so fun and so bold. How do you pull together a great event look? Um, I have an amazing stylist that I work with 90% of the time, Donnie Galella. I cannot take any credit. It was really funny because he, he found me at an event about, I reckon it's nine years ago now, literally eight, maybe eight or nine years we started working together and he kind of saw me across the room, bless him, and he came over and I think I was wearing like a bright yellow dress with like a red lipstick, which could be cool but just not the way that I'd done it. And he looked at me and he goes, can I help you? I mean, I'd really like to help you. I think there's a lot of potential here. And I was like, please, please help me. Because, you know, fashion sort of was never on my radar. I grew up in shorts and thongs and cans and I, I you know, very much didn't have any sort of sense of fashion. And he's taught me so much about my own personal style. But, you know, for the big events that you see, I quite often work with, you know, a professional. And, and I think the best thing about engaging a stylist and someone who's as incredible as Donnie is, you know, they have ways of piecing together outfits and creating looks that I, it just it doesn't cross my mind. I'm creative in a completely different way, but, but he gives me the courage to try new things and, and, and I don't get pigeonholed in a certain kind of style because I have a professional who has his finger on the pulse of what's trending and you know, what's working that you know, he can encourage me to, you know, to try new things. And I hand on my heart, I've never, ever hated an outfit that he's ever given me and I don't even... He asks me what I think and I go, no, 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 whatever you think, I will wear because you're the professional in this. If you're asking someone to come and sing something or present something, yep, I'm Miguel, but otherwise I try and surround myself with professionals who, you know, they are great at what they do in their own fields. I don't propose to be a stylist and that's why I have him in my life to guide me in the right direction. So, yeah, I hope I haven't gaslit people by thinking that I'm the one with the amazing (laughs) style that's that's him and obviously I have learned a lot through him across the years and I think the number one thing that I would say 
to anyone out there is, you know, you don't have to take every trend. You don't have to spend a lot of money to look amazing. And so much of looking amazing is literally how you feel in the clothes that you're wearing because confidence truly is the most beautiful thing about a look. If you feel great, I think it just radiates. And, yeah, I think um, I'm lucky enough to feel great a lot of the time because of him and the other awesome stylists that I get to work with on shoots and events. So, yeah, full disclosure, not me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you brought up Johnny. I've actually interviewed him on this podcast before, but he, I would say, is probably one of my favorite people that I've met working in this industry. He is just such a pure delight. I'm obsessed with him. He's he's, he's divine. He honestly is. And he genuinely just wants to make people feel better about themselves. And I think that's, that's where fashion can be amazing, an amazing tool. I always say to him that he'll be my stylist when I'm famous. So watch this face. <laughs> Wait, that TikTok reality is coming any day now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, chatting about your career as a TV presenter, you know, for the likes of Seven Cricket, Sunrise and The Morning Show, what are some of the skills and qualities that you think people need to kind of excel in this field? It depends on what kind of presenting it is as well. Like I'm very much in entertainment and sport and being a people person, all of that's live broadcast. Obviously, live broadcast versus you know pre-recorded content is completely different. So, coming from a musical theatre stage background where the show must go on, if you stuff up, you can't just say stop, oh, 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 stop, stop. Let's just let's just can that and go back and go again. It doesn't happen that way. So, you know, learning to think on your feet really quickly is is you know, key when it comes to these sorts of live broadcasts, 100%. I think the one thing I sort of went in when I first started was thinking like, oh, I'm a presenter, I've got to be like presenter voice and, you know, sort of go over the top with mannerisms or whatever. Like, no, like the people that we love watching on TV the most are the ones that look so comfortable. They could be just standing off to your right having a conversation and and the sorts of stuff that I work in in TV, it's all about people and connecting with people and I genuinely just love people. I, I love people's stories and everyone's so interesting and having a really varied background in, in music and sport and you know, fashion and beauty and whatever it is, I do feel like there's not too many people on this earth that I can't have a conversation with and find some sort of common ground with. I, you know, I, I just think drawing the best out of people is is the best TV. And, yeah, I think I think that... That tenacity to deal with, you know, when things don't go that well as well, you can't let it get you down because there's another segment coming up next and a chance to redeem yourself or a little slip or a stumble whilst we probably get up in our own head about it. It's the person watching at home probably hasn't even noticed like, you know, what's happened. So it's, yeah, it, it takes a certain sort of, I suppose, mindset to, to tackle live television, but that's what I enjoy most about the kind of presenting that I do is it's all people-focused and it's that pressure of, you know, the show must go on, there's no stop and restart and, or editing things out. It's just you as you and being able to think on your feet and make the person that you're interviewing or talking with feel so comfortable that they can be themselves. That's, that's kind of key. And I'm sure that people at home would watch you on TV and go, I want your job. I want your job. Do you have any advice for someone who is wanting to pursue a career in, you know, TV or media or even content creation? I I find your career story quite interesting because 
looking back like 15 years ago, you're not exactly where you wanted to be and you've pivoted it. So I would love your career advice. I think it's it's saying yes to every opportunity that you can, even if it doesn't feel like it's exactly where you thought you were going to go in the interim. You know, for me, I fell into TV presenting because of an Instagram post. So I have a lot to thank Instagram for back in the day. My first presenting gig was hosting the Indian Premier League, which has an audience of over half a billion people watch this. So that was really a cauldron of fire to be thrown into, plus working in the subcontinent, which is very different to working in Australia. But had I not said yes to that opportunity, obviously I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. I think depending on what kind of presenting you want to get into, obviously if you want to be a news presenter, you have to go to university and do a journalism degree. That is just part and parcel. There's it's a certain specific way of doing things and that's just the prerequisite. So obviously I would I'd recommend people to go and do a course or go to university. But depending on what it is that you're interested in, if we look on TV now, like Matt Shervington's just become Koshy's replacement on Sunrise and he was an athlete who's, you know, been given an opportunity but obviously really excelled and learned the job and is just such an incredible presenter now. Like it, there are so many ways to do it these these days. I think, you know, don't pigeonhole yourself. You've got to, you've got to be constantly hustling and putting yourself out there. I think that's that's pretty obvious in, in this sort of industry. And then, yeah, it's just being open to opportunities, working really hard and, and being a joy to work with. Like people just want to work with good people these days and people that make them feel good about themselves. So, yeah, don't burn any bridges. Just, you know, give 110% every time you turn up for, for any job and, you know, put yourself out there for any opportunities that you see because you genuinely never know who is watching and what that could mean. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing. And I love what you said about just not burning any bridges and being lovely to work with, because I can tell you working on the other side of the industry, everyone talks, everyone shares their own experiences with people. And yeah, I think that's really important. And Erin, you have been one of the most loveliest people that I've ever met. So you're you're doing that one right. (laughs) I think I'm just I'm just so happy to be here honestly I never thought I'd be getting to do this and how my life has changed in the last 14 years since I graduated high school and moved to Sydney like I'm I'm genuinely just thrilled I I, the fact that I can support myself in and do what I love to do that's all I ever wanted it was never about the money it was always about you know getting to be on on tv or on stage and performing that's literally all I ever wanted to do and if I could pay my rent at the same time then then I was going to be happy with that so yeah I think I'm just sort of treat every job like it's it's the first almost in a way like it's yeah it's such an incredible career and I I know how lucky I am and how difficult it is to sort of worm your way in here but um, I'm borrowing in and I'm still trying to borrow go anywhere anytime soon so I plan on sticking around for a long time to come if if people will have me. And now you know taking a look back on your incredible career so far are there any key achievements or highlights that you just look back on and go oh my god I can't believe I got to do that. I think you can kind of split it into like personally and professionally. And, and personally, I remember, I very, very strongly remember a time where I had a couple hundred dollars in my bank account extra after my rent week to week. And it was a constant stress of where is my next paycheck coming from? How am I paying rent next week? And and as a freelancer, even to this day, I haven't lost that. But I remember when I, 
I bought a, a property in 2019 and I just I couldn't believe there was a universe in which I would have enough money in the bank to be able to do that. That was that was a real wow. You, you've actually you're an adult. You're an adult now. You have a job. You can actually like it was it was just a, such a huge moment. And I think everyone as a who's lucky enough to be in a position to buy a home has that pinch me moment of going, my gosh, I can see bricks and mortar representation of, of me actually having success in what I set out to do. So that's that's been an incredible. Like I think that's been probably one of my proudest moments. And then professionally. I think probably when I first started getting my first foot in the door at Tunnel 7, obviously I'd worked overseas and, and working in sport to hundreds of millions of people working in the Middle East and in Asia to these huge audiences has always been incredible and growing up loving sport, I've just oh, I've just enjoyed that foray into that field so much. But something about Channel 7, you growing up, you put on Channel 7 and, you know, primetime network here back home that all of your friends and your family see Getting to work through Seven Cricket, my first show was Orni Monty on Channel 7, which was the, the dancing charity show for breast cancer. And then obviously from there, more stupid exploits like SAS Australia and Holy Moly <laughs> and, and things like that. But getting to work on Channel 7 and be referred to as TV presenter from Channel 7, Erin Holland, I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like that, that was a real pinch me moment and you know, I'm obviously looking to continue my work there. I, I, I'd love to do bigger and better things. And you, you never know when those opportunities will come. So I'm thrilled with where I'm at at the moment, but there's always obviously higher aspirations. I think that was a real sort of, yeah, pinch me moment in that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey. Honestly, we could talk for, talk for hours about, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty incredible to look back even just 10 years ago and realise how far you've come. Well, I'm so excited to see what your future holds because you just deserve this glowing career and I know you will continue to achieve in the industry because you genuinely are like the most lovely person ever. Oh, stop you, baby girl. Thank I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And, you know, it is almost time to go, which is a little bit sad, but I do have five quick fire questions left for you. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, what has been your favourite PR event ever? Oh, okay, I do have two. The first one would probably be getting to be Derby Day Ambassador for Penfolds last year at Flemington. Melbourne Cup, it's massive, it's huge, and, and the Venture Beyond marquee that we had there that I got to be an ambassador for and, and host was just incredible. There was, like, different rooms with different experiences. There was Grange. I mean, what's not to love? That red wine. That was a real a real awesome pinch me moment and a really beautiful activation and then my other one would probably be the Fenty Beauty TikTok warehouse TikTok coming back to support me but it was just it was so much fun every room was themed differently the effort that they put in they even had little selfie lights so your content was amazing they had a like a sushi train of cake and gloss bombs so you got macarons and like a cake and a gloss oh, it was just it was so much fun every room was an experience it was like a fun house for adults who are obsessed with makeup so yeah tie between those two. Oh, i love that okay favorite podcast apart from this one of course, of course. <laughs> i love mamma mia out loud i love the girls i think what mia friedman has done is just unbelievable for women in media and i feel like it's not only fun and conversational but it also keeps me educated on what's happening currently in the world so it's a perfect mix like i never don't feel like listening to that one 
Mm, I do like that podcast too. What is your favorite social media platform? I am an Instagram girl. I think that was the the original. I like that there's still a place for static, beautiful imagery as well as reels and fun video content. So that is the one that I find myself going to check first for sure. And your most visited website? Probably news.com.au. That's where I go to for all of my news. I feel like it's a good representation of a lot of what's happening in the world. You've got your sport, your lifestyle, your beauty, your current events, sort of everything's there. I'd say that's probably the number one other than maybe YouTube. (laughs) And my very last question for you and a controversial one, what is your screen time? Oh, Now, this is a topic of contention with my husband and I because he's not a social media phone user. But in my defence, this is my work. I do spend a lot of time on my phone. It's about eight hours a day. But then I'm like, but you work in an office eight to nine hours a day. Yeah. This is just mobile on my phone. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I am trying to be better with it. But it's hard. You know, sometimes it's that is me listening to Spotify in the car while I'm zooming around. That's considered screen time. It's obviously the editing and the content that we do on the apps. It could be talking to you on this podcast or having a Zoom call while you know, you're in the, in the car parked on the side of the street. So there's a lot of uses for the phone these days. But, yeah, my, my screen time is um, up there. <laughs> Don't worry. It's not the, the largest I've ever heard. <laughs> It has been less than that too, but we'll just leave it. On average, it's eight hours a day. (laughs) Well, I have had the absolute best time chatting to you. Thank you so much for making the time, Erin. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate and Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app and please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR.